We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. dive into some position battles the one question we get asked more than anything else is is there a quarterback battle going on at notre dame the answer is yes there is and we're going to talk briefly about it but it's a little different i think than in past years it's not the same as years where it's like okay who's going to start Wimbush or book kaiser or zaire those type of things i don't think it's that i think it's more of a you know the guy you have is the leader. You know the guy who you think is going to be the guy, but he still has more to prove. And the other guy, and that, the first guy we're talking about is obviously Tyler Buckner. Sure. The other guy that's in the conversation is Drew Pine. And I think Drew has also done enough to say he deserves to go into fall camp with a chance to battle mm-hmm. here. And I think those two things are a reality. Now, that's why I say it's a little different in the past, Ryan, but I, but I do think – Tyler Buckner doesn't have the experience, and and because of this missed spring, there's a lot of factors to me that say I would not be comfortable with Notre Dame just naming him the starter right now. I think he still has to show me something in fall camp. I expect him to be the guy, but I'm not quite ready to kind of go there yet and say he should be anointed the starting quarterback before fall camp starts. Right. Now, I agree completely. I I think it's sort of like a recruiting battle to a degree, right? It's it's Tyler Buckner has distanced himself, but it still hasn't closed, right? Like you still haven't made that final plunge. And I think that that's what you're seeing with a Tyler Buckner right now. I think it's pretty clear who the favorite is. I think there's a, a pretty substantial kind of gap that has been formed now between him and Drew Pine. It's just a question of can Tyler now take it to the next step where it's not even a competition anymore, where it's not even really a race because we've talked a lot about it, Brian. I, I do think that Tyler Buckner as the quarterback gives the offense a lot more upside, obviously, right? But, I mean, hats off to Drew Pine because he's had spurts of good football over, you know, last year specifically where he comes into this conversation as he can contend for this starting job. But I think he is – the gap is clear that he's behind Tyler Buckner. So now it's going to come down to can he – reverse some of that momentum against Tyler Buckner? Because, I mean, let's be honest about it. Tyler Buckner was good good to very good in the spring. Drew Pine was not. He did not have a great spring. So when you're evaluating those two players, you are expecting because, I mean, the game is full of adversity, especially for quarterbacks. So I'm looking at Drew Pine and I'm saying, there's some adversity to you right now. 
Can you take advantage? Can you get back into this race? Or if we know if Tyler Buckner is what we think that he is, can he be that guy easily, right? Can he just establish that little bit of separation with him? And I think that when you look at that, I think he has a huge opportunity to do so. So I, I think that's I think that that's what I'm expecting. And I would love people in the chat that could just kind of put your expectations for the quarterback battle. But I think if anything, it's a little bit of a letdown if Tyler Buckner does not take that onus, right? And if he is the guy that we think that he can be, he has to be able to take that next step. And if he doesn't, that's a big red flag. Yeah. It's it's like what we talked about yesterday, right? When there's a position battle, I want the guy to win because he is clearly the better football player, right? Like I don't want it to be in a situation where you won because the other comp- competitor wasn't that good, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is the worst case scenario. I don't want Tyler Buckner to just win because Drew. And that's Ryan true for all these football. battles. I mean, that's 100%. the thing that you have to understand is that's the big question mark that's going to permeate through all this. And by the way, I love it. Intel never stops, man. So. I'll have something on uh, the message board here in, in the uh-uh. next five minutes. But you did a great job of like, of okay, Ryan responded to adversity. I had to bow out to take a call. So uh, very well done, Ryan, on that one. But I, I would I would be a good quarterback as well. I can yes, handle adversity. Yes, good, good audible. I think that that right there though is going to be the key for all these battles, right? Somebody's going to be here because here's what we're talking about today. We're talking about O line. We're going to, talk, I mean, quarterback, we're going to talk about the fifth offensive lineman. We're going to talk about who kind of is that number four receiver, potentially number three, depending on who it is. We're going to talk about the number two tight end spot, the starting big end, starting Mike, starting corner, and starting safety. And the reality is, is someone's going to have all those, someone's going to win, win all those roles, meaning someone's going to play in all those roles. The key is, and this is going to determine how good Notre Dame is to all these, is does somebody win the job? Because they let, let me rephrase: Does somebody win the job, or does somebody earn the job? Because there's always a winner and a loser in position battles, right? Somebody's going to start. I don't care how bad the two guys played; somebody's going to start. Earning it's different. Earning it is I went out there and with my performance earned that starting job, and it's not really doesn't really matter what other people did. And that's the big key: is earn it, don't win it. And, and uh, that's kind of the, the big thing for me, Ryan. So it, that's true at quarterback, I think, especially, right? What you don't want to have happen is, like, part of the reason Tyler Buckner is the clear number one coming out of spring is he had a good spring. He didn't have a great spring. Mm-hmm. Drew Pine had a bad spring. And that's why I said Tyler still has more to prove. Right. right. Tyler has to go out there and show that he's not the number one guy because Steve Angeli is a freshman and Drew Pine is struggling. He's got to show that I don't care who was here. I'm going to be the starting quarterback. And mm-hmm. I do think he still has to more to prove in that regard. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now 
and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. you got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best-tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, they'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. Let's go to offensive line. This is an interesting one because you have a guy coming back in Andrew Kristoffic who started last year with six or seven games and, and really was a key to helping solidify the offensive line. And then you come out in the spring. Zeke Carell has a phenomenal spring, right? Moves back to center, has a great spring, so much so that we believe Notre Dame is strongly considering and, and right now intends to have Jarrett Patterson move to guard and Zeke Carell step in as a starting starter at center when he comes back. That isn't so much about Andrew Kristoffic not playing well as much as it is about Zeke Carell playing well. Sure, I, I don't think Andrew had a great spring from all from all reports that I have seen, or not say reports, but intel that I've gathered. He had a solid spring, but not a great spring. And Zeke had a great spring, mm-hmm. and so there's a comfort there with Zeke stepping into that to that role. But Andrew Kristoffic, to me, showed enough last year that I'm just not automatically feeling like he's going to be thrown to the side. Sure. I do think we're going to see a scenario where, because look, Jared Patterson can easily move back to center, right? Easily move back to center. Or Andrew Kristoffic can move to center because he's played it before uh, in practices. So to me, I think that's another really interesting battle is, is because – there are some people who have understandable concerns about Zeke Carell. And the understandable concerns to me are twofold. The first one I'm actually on board with, health. Like Zeke has you know, struggled to stay healthy for a chunk of his career. He's an undersized guy who struggled to stay healthy. That's a legitimate concern, number one. Number two is 
he last time we saw Zeke Carell, he was playing really not good football. I mean, and I'm I'm trying to be nice about it. He really struggled to guard. I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think it's he wasn't comfortable to position. I think it was a situation where he wasn't necessarily being coached very well, as we've talked about. A kid like with his size needs to really be a technician. He didn't have that, you know, and, and I think for whatever reason, he's just looked more comfortable at center during his career than he's looked to guard. Yeah. And and so the, so but I understand people being concerned about that, because, again, the last time we saw him, I understand people not just automatically assuming he's going to play better at center. I, I get that. But I do think that if he doesn't play well and Andrew Kostoff has a better fall than he had camp, it's not a given that that's how the, the offensive line is going to shake out. So I do think it's worth and it's worth bringing up, Ryan. And, and this was kind of one of the topics that Brian thought Ryan thought that we should discuss was, you know, hey, look, I don't I don't think necessarily that that quarterback or that the offensive line battle is necessarily settled. So it's going to be yeah. very curious to see how that shakes out because it's the same thing, right? You want Zeke Carell to win, to, to not win the starting center job, but to have earned it. And sure. so far that's why they're considering making the move is because of how well he played, but that's got to continue for the next, you know, 25 practices. And I don't think there's any reason from a talent perspective that Andrew Christophic can't flip the scripts. I mean, I, I think that none of us would question that Andrew Christophic is a really talented kid. And the fact of the matter is, is that, Last season doesn't really matter anymore, but the last time we saw them on a football field, Andrew Kostovic was a better football player than Zeke Carell last season. And I know, understand that Zeke's now moving back to his more natural position, so it's not a great, it's not an apples-to-apples apples conversation. It's more apples-to-oranges, for being completely honest. But I think the one thing you said, Brian, that I could agree with completely is Andrew Kostovic also gives you the fact that, hey, he's played some center, he's played at guard, he can fight for two spots de facto, right? Because if he mm -hmm. fights for the guard spot and he's better than Zeke Carell, you slide Jared Patterson back and then he's back into the left guard position that he was last year. But if you also, if he's practicing at center, kind of cross train a little bit, and he's the best center on the roster, then maybe he just slides in for Carell. And I, right. I, I wouldn't say that I, that's necessarily what I expect. I think I do expect at the end of the day for it to be Zeke Corral at center and then Jared right. Patterson at left guard. But the point of the matter is, is that Andrew Kristoffic deserves an opportunity to win that job. He does, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I, I know the momentum is not in his favor right now, but he was a calming right. force that offensive line last year. Yeah. Was he great? No, but he was much he was better than what they what they was, threw out there at the beginning yeah. of the year. He was very steady. He yes. wasn't spectacular, but he was steady. And I think the, uh, not being spectacular, again, he was a kid that came to their name very raw. And I think a lot of what Andrew was doing is just God-given ability. And, you know, I'm curious to see how he's going to take now that he's got a second semester working with Harry Heastand. So, you know, the, the, and, and he's another kid, too, that that I'm curious to see how Andrew responds to finally being settled somewhere. And this has been an issue for him is they've moved him all over the place. You know, like he's played tackle, he's played center, he's played guard, he's back to guard. He's, you know, and it's just kind of like he was a kid that was raw, wasn't, you know, he was a basketball player in high school as well. He's a guy that needed a lot of work, and I think it's he's not as developed as your typical senior because of the lack of coaching and the fact that he's a guy that needed a, a lot of work, in my opinion. So he, I, normally I would write off a senior like Andrew Kostovic who got beat out. Normally I would because you're a senior. But because of the coaching change and the coaching issues he's dealt with and the fact that I felt he was he's always kind of been behind the eight ball because he's raw and because he's moved around so much, I have a little bit more confidence – that he's got a jump in him than I would normally a senior. Sure. And, and, and I would, uh, you know, so that's kind of factors into it as well. I, I'm curious, 
or I'm not curious, but like you, you made the point about maybe Kristoffic moving to center. And, and I mentioned that earlier. I think for, to me, for that to happen for clarity mm-hmm. for me and, and respond, if you feel differently, it sure. would have to be more so Andrews clearly outplayed Zeke Carell, but Jarrett Patterson looks great at guard. hundred percent. I think 100%. that's how it'd have to be. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to move Jared Pat. Like you're not going to make that switch and just leave Jared Patterson at guard, even in my opinion, if he's not. So if you're not comfortable with your center option and Jared Patterson just looks solid at guard, I don't think that's like a foregone conclusion that you still keep him at guard, right? Like if you're, if your best player is Andrew Kristoffic versus Z Carell out of the, out of the starting five, and you need to get, you need to get an Andrew Kristoffic on the field. But Jared Patterson is also not playing great at guard. Then you just slide him back to center. Like you, he's a known commodity at the center position. So I agree with you, Brian. I don't think that it's a foregone conclusion that the center spot might be open for Kristoffic to take. I just, in my, in my mind, I guess, I just expect Jared Patterson to be a good guard, right? Like I don't expect him to be a average to good player. Like I expect him to be a very good guard. So I think that he'll make that transition well. And I think center could be the spot that ends up being open because you have two guys that can play it. And I think that I expect Patterson to take that step at guard. So let's go to a couple more on offense. We'll kind of work through quickly since they're, they're potentially not starting positions. The first one being sort of that fourth receiver spot. I think if everybody's healthy, I think you and I would agree that that Lorenzo Styles, Avery Davis, and Braden Lindsay are sort of the one, two, three receivers in some capacity. Sure. Yeah. Right. And so then the question is, is okay, who's the fourth receiver? Now there's a chance that the fourth receiver, depending on who it is, could actually step into the starting lineup. Meaning if it's a Deion Colsey, if it's a Tobias Merriweather, or if it's a Jaden Thomas, one of the bigger guys that's more ideally suited for the boundary. It sure. could technically be a starting role. Then you can kind of move Lorenzo Styles around in those type of areas. So I do think there's a battle for that. And and honestly, it's one of those battles where even if it's not a starter, this is very important for Notre Dame because this battle needs to be fierce because, as I said, somebody's going to be in the rotation. Mm-hmm. Right. Somebody's going to be in the rotation. Are they in the rotation because they need somebody to give a breather to the guys that are starting or are they in the rotation? Because like, yo, this cat had a great spring and we, and, and he's, or he's at, or he's at a great fall or both. We got to get this kid on the field. And that's going to be the question. And so, you know, people say, well, I I'm team Dion and I'm team to team Tobias and I'm team Jaden or whatever else. Like you should be team all of them, right? Because sure. you want all of them to play to the level where they're making Notre Dame have some tough choices on who that fourth and fifth receivers are going to be. Mm-hmm. And and here's the question you want Notre Dame to be asking. You do not want Notre Dame going into fall, into the fall, into the season, saying, who's our fourth receiver? You yeah. want them to be having a different conversation, and you want that conversation to be, how deep can we go with our rotation? Because that's the kind, as a receivers coach, the best depth charts I was ever a part of are the ones where I had a hard time getting down to five. Because like five or six is the most you want to do, and at the time – we were trying to be five. We couldn't. We couldn't justify not having a six kid playing. And so we ended up going with six. That's the decision that you want to be in because the, every one of those kids that earned playing time, right? That's where Notre Dame wants to be where, look, we were going to go with a four-man rotation, but we have to go to five. Or we were going to go with a five-man rotation, we got to go to six. And I think that's the that's the that's that's what you got to hope that the battle is. Where Dion, Tobias, 
and Jaden have all said, hey, you got to play me. Where? You got to figure that out. That's what you get paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do, coach. Figure it out. But we all, you know, I need to play. And then Keon, you know, uh, Dion needs to say that. And then Jaden needs to say that. And then Tobias needs to say that. If that battle is what I hope it is, then we're going to feel really good about the receiving core. If we're not hearing that, that's when I'm going to start getting real concerned about, like, there's a gap between your top three and everybody else. That's going to make me a little bit uncomfortable about the receiving core heading into fall camp. I know we've talked a lot about that. We think Lorenzo styles in spurts could be that W receiver, right? A little bit of an undersized version of what traditionally kind of Notre Dame puts into the boundary, but I don't think in an ideal situation, he's playing that spot, right? Like right now to your point, Brian, if it is Lorenzo styles, brain Lindsay and a healthy Avery Davis, and they are your clear best three receivers and they have to play. There's no doubt about that. But if you're playing them in three wide receiver sets, that means you're going to have an undersized guy into the boundary a little bit. But you have really talented players behind them that fit that boundary role a whole lot better. I mean, you have Tobias Merriweather coming in that's six foot four. You have Deion Colsey, who's six foot five. You have Jane Thomas, who's six one and a half, 215 pounds. Those are more traditionally what Notre Dame has put into the boundary. So I think to unlock the best of what Notre Dame's receiving core can be, you need at least one of those guys to be a really good player into the boundary. So now, hey, you can mix and match where you're putting Braden Lindsay and Lorenzo Styles, and you can move those players around a ton. If you get into a situation where you don't have a true boundary player that you trust, then you're going to put Lorenzo Styles in a position, potentially your best receiver, that is not his most advantageous position for him to be his best. Because I would love Lorenzo Styles to be that receiver to the field or maybe play in the slot at times like I think that that's kind of where he best profiles but you know that Brian Lindsay is going to play to the field you know that Avery Davis is going to play in the slot to the field he's not neither one of those guys have the ability to play into the boundary the only one out of the top three receivers assumed is Lorenzo Styles in spurts could play into the boundary but if you have a player like a Colsey or a Jane Thomas or Tobias Merriweather, whoever it ends up being, that can be that true boundary receiver, then that means I can use Lorenzo Styles all over the field. That means I can use Braden Braden Lindsay all over the field. That means that I don't have to worry about having a lack of size in the boundary on the field. So I think that one of those guys has to step up. It would be great if it was at least two. I mean, that would be an ideal situation. If it's three, then hallelujah, we have a great receiving core, right? Like we have one of the best People keep asking, can it be a top 10 receiver core? Well, if all three of those guys step up and Brayden Lindsay is what, I mean, Brayden Lindsay, you know, has a nice season and all the guys kind of hit closer to their marks, then sure. But if for order that to happen, you need to have a boundary presence because right now your best option, if none of those guys steps up, is Lorenzo Styles, who is not a natural boundary player. Another battle, Ryan, tight end mm-hmm. number two. That's going to be a really interesting and, and one that I'm a lot more concerned about now than I was six months ago, I'd say more than that, seven months ago, because seven months ago we were still thinking that, well, I put him eight months ago now, summer's going by. We were thinking George Takis was going to be coming back. At the very least, he would be that guy. And then you say, well, you got Mitchell Evans, you've got the, well, now Mitchell Evans is out, right? So you've got Cambron coming back from a knee injury. You've got Eli Raritan coming off of a knee injury. There's a lot of talent at tight end, but there's very, very little proven production behind Michael Mayer. And the reality is Notre Dame is going to run 12 personnel. There's no question they're going to run 12 personnel. 
the question is going to be, is the second person going to be a, a, uh, just a pure blocker that, mm-hmm. that, or is it a guy that's more of a weapon in, in their sure. blocking game and running game? So I think that's a battle that I'm very curious to see. And, and again, it's another one where my hope is, is that it's not just a second tight end, but a second tight end that does this, a second tight end that does this, and they, you know, a little bit of a deeper rotation. So that's another really interesting battle that I'm going to see, that I'm going to curious to see how it wages here as we get to fall camp. You know, the most exciting part about it for me is I hope that there are those options behind Michael Mayer, where you're saying this guy has more upside as a blocker, this guy has more upside as a, you know, detached type of player, more like a Kane Barong type of guy. And I hope that Tommy Reese has the option to pick how his offense wants to be run, right? Because I know in a perfect world, you're going to use both those guys, right? Like there's going to mm-hmm. be certain situations where you need a better blocker as your second tight end. You need a better receiver as your second tight end. But I would love to see just the outlook of a Tommy Reese offense where he can kind of pick which guy he wants more, right? right? Like which guy plays more snaps? Does he want to have the more dynamic element in the passing game? Does he want to have more of the blocker? Does he give Eli Raritan a legitimate shot? Because, I mean, one thing me and Brian were talking about yesterday was that uh, that picture that Jared Parker put out yesterday, man, of some of those tight ends. I was like, yeah. oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. those guys. Are Ryan's really like, good, who's the dude with the Toon Squad shirt on? It didn't look like a freshman. But no. yeah, that was Eli Raritan. And Holden, yeah. everybody talks about Eli Raritan. Did you see the picture of Holden Stace? He's a big kid. Somebody man. told me, like, yeah, he's a little undersized. I'm not sure we're ready to play him. Like, if that's undersized, man, I, I would, <laughs> that's an, that's it's, an impressive looking undersized dude right it's, there. It's six, four and some change, 240 something pounds, yeah. maybe 250 undersized. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't get that. Yeah. One. He's an impressive looking kid. It's a talented sure room. And, and, and I felt bad for Kane Barong in that picture because those <laughs> photos can be very misleading from yep. a size standpoint, height standpoint, because, you know, like the way it is, the closer you are to the camera, the bigger you're going to look, right? And it's sure. going to be more distorted than it is in person. Well, Kane's like the furthest person, like right in the middle of the of the oval, you know? And so Kane looks like this little tiny guy. And I'm like, I stood next to Kane Barong like a month and a half ago, and he doesn't look that small, you know what I mean? Like, he's a good-sized kid, but it's an impressive tight end room. But, look, the reality is I'm not worried about the talent of the tight end room. And this is where people have to understand talent – however, doesn't equal production, right? Execution equals production. Now, the sure. talent behind that level of execution is going to determine your ultimate success. But I've heard people say, I'm not worried about tight end. Well, you should be because somebody has to prove themselves. And until someone sure. proves themselves, it's something we should be concerned about. It's like people say, I'm not worried at all about Tyler Buckner. Well, that's the opposite extreme to he's going to suck, Right. That because of a bad three throws against Virginia Tech or something like that. Right. Like they're both to me improper reactions. The proper reaction is this kid's super talented, but he has to now go show that that talent can turn into production on Saturdays. Same thing with Kane Barong. Same thing with with uh, Eli Raritan. Same thing with Holden Stace. Same thing with Kevin Bauman. The whole group had there's talent there, but can that talent turn into production? And impactful of production, whether it's his blockers, whether it's his pass catchers, or both. And I think that's where the question mark is. And it's the same thing at receiver. I have no doubt about the talent. No doubt about the talent. I have questions about the about the depth. But if all the guys played to their potential, this is going to be a good receiving core. It is. Sure. 
Yep. But that's the question. Will they play to their potential? And that's the that's the why it's important for me to be hearing the right things during fall camp about the battle of tight end and, and wide receiver. And I'll also say this about tight end too, Brian. I know we're looking just specifically for the 2022 season for making this the best team. It also would be kind of nice though for the future circumstance and understand who the next tight end is, right? Because I think mm-hmm. that there's... I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Kane Barong takes the opportunity to be the second tight end and he just kind of transitions into the guy after Michael Mayer. I wouldn't be shocked if it's Eli Raritan. I wouldn't be shocked mm-hmm. if it's Holden Stays. I think there's a bunch of guys. There's not a guy in that group that would shock me if he won the number two tight end job. 100%. 100%. I mean, it's just, it's such a talented group. I mean, and that, I mean, going into the season, you thought it was probably going to be Mitchell Evans. And it, it, I mean, that just, I think it really is kind of a, it's kind of more just a compliment to the depth that they've able to accumulate at tight ends. It's not proven right now because you're talking about a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, but man, there is some big time ability in this tight end room outside, even outside of Michael Mayer. That's offense, Ryan. Let's talk defense. Defensively, we're like offensively, like quarterbacks, a big battle in the offensive line, but the others are like, you know, depth and defensively, there's actually some starting battles that are going to wage. Now, I think in most of these, you're going to see whoever's involved in the battle play. Mm-hmm. But I do think who wins these jobs kind of matters. And, and as we said before with offense, why? Why they win the job. Mm-hmm. And we're going to kind of work front to back. So it's not order of importance. We're just going to work front to back because they're all important. I think the first one is big end. And I think this is a big one too because I'm, I'm pretty confident based on what I've heard that Riley Mills is going to win that job. I'm going to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Riley Mills train, right? Ryan, you know, you know, mm-hmm. my stance of what I think about Riley Mills and the kind of player he can be. However, I do hope it's a little harder for him this, this fall than maybe some people think. And and what I mean by that is I would like to see uh, whether it be Tyson Ford or Alexander Ahrensberger, who's a guy that could be there, Nana Osafa Mensa, somebody like that plays so well that all of a sudden, Riley's like, okay, okay, my dude is bringing it today, and now I got to bring it, right? right? And I and I always want to see that because if Riley Mills gets close to playing to what his potential could be for this season, Notre Dame's defensive line is going to be really filthy, like really good. Because here's something about Riley that I don't think a lot of people uh, appreciate yet because we just haven't seen him in that role again. But I would really encourage you to go back and watch the Virginia game. Yeah. And the reason I say that is, is because remember, that's the game where Myron Tungvaloa got sick before the game and they just bumped Riley out to big end and he responded with two sacks. Now, Virginia doesn't have a great offensive line. We we, sure. we know that. Sure. But Riley looked what much more comfortable out there than he did inside. And the one thing I did like about Riley last year, his, his production was pretty good. I mean, if you look at it, he had three sacks as a sophomore. That's more than what Jerry Tillery had his first two seasons. It's what Jason, more than what Jason Adamiola had his first two seasons. So he, his production was pretty decent, but he looked more comfortable playing in space than he did inside. And that surprised me a little bit because yeah. of how big he is, right? Like, because you remember, he was an end in high school. He was like a three, four end that would occasionally play inside, but then also would, would play and rush off the edge. He looked really comfortable. He's very long, and he's huge. I mean, he's a legitimate 285-plus, but he, but here's the thing. He is a much better athlete than people think, but even more importantly, he's a more natural pass rusher than the last couple big ends that they've had. I would argue the last three big ends that they've had since they transitioned to this defense, Khalid Kareem, Adi Ogandiji, 
and and Myron Tungvaloa. I would rank them as pass rushers. Adi number one, Khalid number two, just as pass rushers, because uh, mm-hmm. Khalid was the best player of the group, and and I don't know if it was close. Khalid was a very underrated player for Notre Dame, and also because he was a money player for Notre Dame. Like, we've talked about that. And then I would put Myron number three as a big end. Now, sure. they were all good football players. Mm-hmm. I think Riley – has the highest ceiling as a pass rusher than mo- the best natural feel as a pass rusher than all of them. So I I, I don't expect this to necessarily be a, a a battle if Riley's who we think he's going to be. But he I but then my response to that is Ryan, I'm putting him, however, in the same category I'm putting in Tyler Buckner. Yes, he's talented, but yeah. I gotta see it. He's got to show it to me now that he's the guy. He didn't start off the spring great, finished mm-hmm. strong. Now he's got to show me that he can carry that into fall camp, not kind of take a step back, then get good again. He's got to carry that into fall camp. I'm hearing great things about the work he's put in the summer. Uh, he just recently won one of the Workout Warrior Awards for Did Notre you Dame. see that picture? He's a, he's a monster. Uh, so oh, I'm hearing good things about him, but he's got to now take that into the fall uh, and and – but my hope is, even if he does, I'm hoping that he gets pushed. Because if he gets pushed and Alexander Ehrensberger's kind of saying, hey, man, Riley, love you, man. Don't take today off. Because if you do, you're going to let me gain on you. And that's what I'm hoping to see in the spring. Or in the I, fall forgot to t- I forgot to tell you this, Brian. I had someone in more of the NFL draft sphere a little higher up that said uh, that messaged me the picture of Riley Mills and was like, uh, so who's this guy? And I'm like – yeah, he's probably, he's probably going to be a breakout guy for Notre Dame. We'll, we'll see how uh, yeah. he continues to develop. But yeah, he's an impressive-looking cat, man. Great length. Like you said, he's even though he didn't start the spring great, like you said, he got better as, as the spring went on. And then in the spring game, man, he was unblockable. Like they couldn't yeah. do anything with Riley Mills. So I agree with you. He needs to distance himself because there's good players there, right? Like I like Alexander Ehrensberger. I think he has pretty nice upside, obviously, with him continuing to get used to the game and developing that frame. I mean, he's a legit right near six, seven long arms, and he's starting to fill out. He's 255 pounds now. And then you got a guy like a Nano Safamensa who hasn't been spectacular, but he's played some football at Notre Dame, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a couple guys that I think are good defensive ends, you know, that are that are playing against yeah. Riley Mills. I just think that it's so much – it's the fact that right now Riley Mills has separated himself in that competition, but he needs to just – end it right like he needs to be like i'm the dude here i'm the next breakout star on this defensive line if he hits near his ceiling then man it is going to be tough for teams down the stretch if they have to start kind of sliding some protections to riley mills instead of sliding every protection to isaiah foskey right and that's the big thing too brian is whoever's the strong side defensive end i know obviously you're working against tight ends a ton and a little bit more clutter but you're also going to get some one-on-one opportunities because you know that protection is going to be slid to isaiah Mm -hmm. foskey so taking advantage of those one-on-one opportunities is going to be huge for that position. And I really hope that Riley Mills is the guy that takes that onus because for Notre Dame to compete on a championship level, that is the guy that they need, right? right? Like I think not, not, you can win games with Nana Safamensa. You can win some football games with Alexander Ehrensberger. There's no doubt. But at championship level, I think you need Riley Mills to be the dude. I'm going to build onto that and, and clarify it a bit. And I think you're going to sure. agree with me on this, Ryan. Uh, and that's not a threat. That's just a, a prediction. <laughs> so I think you, you can win a championship. <laughs> You're going to agree with me on this. I'm confident in it, Ryan. Um, no, it, it's I, I. You and I have talked about this, and I and I because I think I think this is what you're saying is what I think. 
you can absolutely, and I think Notre Dame can absolutely win a championship with Nana Osafa Mens and, and Alexander Aaronsberger as filling a role, right? And that's the thing I love. They're they're guys that if they're if they're your depth pieces, meaning you know Alex can kind of play some three technique, can play some big end. He brings some pass rushing prowess to the table and some length. Nana is not really has not shown himself to be a, a great pass rusher in games, but he's a really stout point of the attack run defender. Right. And, and bring some of that power football to the table. If That's Riley hard. breaks out and he's the dude, then that allows you with Alex and Tanan on to say, okay, let's now build around your strengths. Sure. That's going to make them much better players as well. That's how you build a great depth chart, in my opinion, because, you know, it could, because here, like you nailed it. They're not only are teams going to slide their protection to, to Isaiah Foskey, but who else is on that side of the defensive line? The three Adam technique, Ola. Jason yeah. Adamiola. And so Riley's got to be that guy in base downs. Then when they get the third down, you know, maybe you slide him inside with Jason and now Justin and Isaiah are, are on the edges or, you know, yeah. Isaiah and Jordan Patelho or Justin and Jordan Patelho and you put Isaiah inside and, you know, there's all types of different things. I, I wouldn't do. even be upset if you saw Aaron um, Alexander Aaronsburg working inside and some pass rushing down. Not at all. Against like Ohio play. state and USC yeah. and, and, and North Carolina. I yep. flat out would have him playing inside in some of those games. And there's times against those teams too. I'd put Riley back inside with him and Jason inside with Justin as an edge in, in some base downs against teams that are trying to, I don't know if Ohio state's the team I would do that against. Cause I do think Ohio state is going to try to come out in the opener and establish the run game more than they did last year. I think that's something that they're going to really try to assert themselves on. So you need to make sure you can stop that first. Sure. But when you talk about like playing North Carolina, when you talk about playing like USC, there may be some times we do see Riley back inside in some base downs in, in different looks. So it, it's it's going to be interesting. But as you said, Ryan, it's going to be a battle. I don't think Riley has not done enough yet to me from what I've been told and from what we've seen to just, okay, he's the starter at big end. Sure. Right. Sure. He's got to now build on what he did in the spring. We think he's going to win that job, but I do think there is a position battle that will rage, and the hope is that it's over quickly. If it's because yep. look, here's the thing: from what I've been told about Nana, he's been putting in work over the last year. From what I've been told about Alexander Aaronsberger, he's a worker. Effort's never been a problem. So if Riley seizes hold of the job, it's because he's playing well. It's not because the other guys aren't working. Sure. And so that's why I kind of hope it's over quickly, but he's going to have to prove it. And that's why we're, we are talking about that today. Cause like, if you listen to what we're talking about, it sounds like it doesn't sound like much of a battle guys. Right. <laughs> but in, in you're correct. But again, it's kind of like quarterback. He's got to prove it. He's got to prove it. And you, the hope is, is like we said that he's not starting cause he's just the most talented guy, but because yeah. he's earned it by beating out those other guys and proving himself to be the better guy. And then the other part of the battle is, Okay, you won. You won, earned the job, but are you? Did you earn the job in a sixty forty snap split? Did you earn the job in a fifty fifty snap split? A sixty five thirty five snap split? Because the more of that you've earned, the better you have played. And I think that's the other right. part of of this equation. It, it's it's a fight until the last punch, right? Like the last mm-hmm. punch has not been thrown yet. So I agree with you. Right. It's something where there is definitely a, a there is a gap that has been created. But for Riley Mills to be the best version of himself, he needs to feel the pressure. That's the biggest thing. We keep talking about that, right? But I want Nana Asafa Mensa and Alexander Ehrensberger to come into the fall and be like, it's not going to be that easy, man. Like, you you have to end this right now, right? Like, you have to make that last punch. So 
for Riley Mills to take that step is 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 what Notre Dame needs. They mm-hmm. need that type of player because, like you said, Brian, like I also said, Isaiah Fossey is going to have a lot of attention this year, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are just going to be like, that number seven's not going to beat us, right? We're not going to. Cincinnati's going the to. only team that actually tried to do that last year, and you know what? For the most part, they did. <laughs> but but here's the thing about Isaiah: he's so yeah. good that he's so still going to win that rush. But yeah, on the play exactly. that we're talking about. Right. And we're talking about Isaiah got them back in that game. They're down 17 nothing in Cincinnati, I believe, it crossed midfield. Yep. And Isaiah has a strip sack. But if you go watch that play, Desmond Ritter was looking to throw. Alexander Ahrensberg got his six, seven arms up, mm-hmm. got in his face and, and forced him to bring it down. When he brought it down, that's when Isaiah came with the strip sack. Drew White yep. picks it up. They run it back. Notre Dame ends up punching in the end zone. It, that's why the big end is important. Because mm-hmm. if the big end doesn't make a play on that now, now did he do anything to get credit for the sack or any? No, but right. him doing his job and, and being a long athletic kid resulted in your dude coming across and making that play. Cause they were actually trying to roll. I, I, I'd have to go back and look at the play. I think they had moved the pocket away from him and that's how he was, got in, 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 uh, in out. Cause it was to the left. Yeah. It was, so it was to, to the, the left. It was to the left hash. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting situation to, to see how that plays out because and can I, yeah, can I on. also say, I would like to, I, and I, I don't want to undersell for a second. Riley Mills can't play a hundred percent of the snaps at big end next year. Right. Like they also need one of those guys to assert themselves. If it's both of them, fantastic. But mm-hmm. again, they need Alexander Ehrensberger and Nana Safa to come into the fall and be like, it's not going to be easy. And if it's right. not easy, then it helps depth as well. It, and it, yes, it, it makes Riley better and it makes your depth better. And that's awesome. how you win a championship. Because again, Notre Dame is going to have a very good defensive line. They've had a very good defensive line in 2021. They had a very good defensive line in 2020. They had a very good defensive line in 2019. I would say they had an elite defensive line in 2018. Is that fair? Yeah. But the difference between being very good and being elite is the difference between being a team that goes 10 and two or 11 and one, and then goes into the postseason and loses to the same and a team that you say, Hey, we're going to win a championship because of this group. And I think as good as the defensive line has been, it has not been good enough to say, get on our back. We're going to do this like Georgia's defensive line, in my opinion, did last year. As much as I love the linebackers of Georgia and I do, I'm a huge N'Kobe Dean fan. Like I love watching that kid play. Yep. But the reality is, is he benefited from having a phenomenal defensive line in front of him. And it a wasn't one of, dude. A lot of easy reads. Lot yeah, of it easy wasn't one dude. Like guys. Jordan Davis got all the, the love. I would argue he was their third best defensive lineman last year. You can make that comment. Yeah, you can right? you can make that argument. You can. Yeah. Right. I thought I thought Jalen Carter was their best defensive lineman last year. And I yep. thought Trayvon Walker was better than he was certainly more impactful than than Jordan Davis was. Jordan Davis would like have these spurts where he'd do something really phenomenal and then he'd just like he played 25 snaps a game and, and like, you know, just kind of eat space. Don't forget about Devontae Wyatt, too, who went in the There's first another round. one. It's, it's crazy, a, Didn't he get drafted last year? Yay, 28th overall to the uh, Packers in the first round, Devontae Wyatt. Yeah. And, he, yeah. and we just got done talking about him not even being in the top three defensive linemen for Georgia. <laughs> yep. Right? Uh, yeah. so, so that's the difference being really good and being elite is where 100%. you are impacting games, and it can't just be Isaiah Foskey. You are Alabama was not an elite D line last year. Uh, they had an elite player, sure. right? And that's the diff. They of all the guys we just talked about, uh, Georgia, none of them are as good as Will Anderson. But I'll take Georgia's front seven over Alabama's any day of the week. No Why? Doubt. Because it wasn't just one dude. 
Now, Alabama's D-line wasn't bad. They were really good. They, they were what we've said a lot about. They're really good. That they, But they were fueled by one great player. Sure. Georgia had several impact players. And that's why Riley Mills went in this battle, but being pushed, but then earning it, and why Jason Adamiola stepping up this year are so important. Those two guys, I would argue, are going to have a bigger say on whether this line is elite than Isaiah Foskey. Because Isaiah Foskey could be the de- best defensive end in the country, and it still doesn't make their defensive line elite. It's sure. those other guys stepping up. Yep. Great Let's talk about Mike Linebacker, Ryan. I think this is a big one, too. You've got J.D. Bertrand. One. We, we yeah. believe J.D. Bertrand is going to slide into Mike this year, which is going to open up an opportunity for Maris Lewifau and Prince Colley to kind of take over the Will linebacker job, which we talked about yesterday in the sophomore defender, defender show. Mike linebacker is going to be a battle, and it's not just two dudes. It's not just J.D. Bertrand and Bo Bauer. Junior to Alamaca kind of, you know, what, what, was, what was the scene from Bull Durham? I want to announce my presence with authority, oh, right? Yeah. Junior yeah, yeah. did that in the spring. Junior announced his presence with authority. I, we've talked about this before, Ryan, but but for those who are new to the channel, one of the things we heard a lot during the spring was when we would talk to people that had been to Notre Dame, had been to Notre Dame practices in the spring, like I would I'm like, hey, I don't know who this 44 is. There was two kids they would constantly mention to me. It was 21 and 44, 21 being Jane Mickey, 44 being Junior. Hey, I don't know who this 44 kid is. But that dude's a ball. Because, like, some of these guys, they don't follow recruiting. You know, they're just like, was that a transfer? Because Junior looks like a grown man. Like, you see Junior, like, that's not a, an 18-year-old freshman in college, right, who should still that's be in a, high school, right? That's a 235, 240-pound grown man. Yes. Is he is. Yeah. And 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 his – so he doesn't look like – so was he a tra- – guy asked me, is he a transfer? Like, did they get a transfer? Like, nope, that's Junior to Alamaca, you know what I mean? Uh, size. He was he was twitchier this spring than I than I saw him in high school, which is a great sign. Um, you know, he's a guy that to me is got a chance to step in and say, "Hey, you guys are good players, but you're going to have to battle with me." Yes, and that's that makes this a very very interesting conversation. Very interesting and, conversation with Bo and JD. Because I, I feel like, Brian, I feel like a lot of people underrate J.D. Bertrand because I thought he had a good year mm-hmm. last year, you know? I mean, there was there's definitely stuff that he needs to clean up. There's no doubt. There's some limitations to him. But, I mean, we saw the 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 uh, the spring grades from the NFL, and J.D. Bertrand has a draftable grade going into next mm-hmm. year, and he's on, like, every single Buckus award watch list and all these types of things because he's had over 100 tackles last year. So I think J.D.'s mm-hmm. a good football player. Bo Bauer is a – physically impressive football player that we've seen in spurts right like he's got length he's he's explosive there's a lot of good things about Bo Bauer he hasn't put it together obviously but the fact that we are going into the fall with an opportunity for a freshman and junior Toya Lamaka to make some noise against a guy that just had 100 plus tackles in his first not even a full year as a start he wasn't even supposed to be the starter I mean well he ended up starting the whole year but he wasn't supposed to be the starter entering the season until Maris Loifel got 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 injured so and he's also moving over from Will to a more natural Mike position, which I think is going to help him tremendously. So I'm excited to see this one, Brian, because I, I have to be honest, I think a lot of people under overlooked Ju- Junior Toya Lamaco a little bit because it's like Jalen Sneed's a freak, but uh, Josh Burnham's a freak, and Nolan Ziegler's a really athletic kid as well. There's an assumption that Junior Toya Lamaco is just kind of this stiff, lumbering linebacker, you know, the true Mike, but he left the spring as the most impressive linebacker from a 
play perspective, right? Like he's mm-hmm. got good eyes. He's got good understanding of how to play the position and he's going into the spring and he has a chance to push and he does. Yeah. And I, I mean, going into the fall, excuse me. And he has a chance to push. And I would not be shocked if by the end of the season, junior Tulio Lamaca was not the starting Mike for Notre Dame. I would not I, be shocked. I wouldn't be Mike. shocked be based off if there's an injury to Jay. And I've said this before too. I agree with you. I think it would require JD to get hurt, which is, possible he's been banged up before he's coming off of an injury but the reason we started with junior is because to me juniors are floor yeah right like if the veterans don't step up their game if jd doesn't tackle better if bo doesn't do a better job on assignments and and being gap correct and and those type of things then they will get beat out by junior to alamaca because he's the most natural linebacker that they have arguably the most natural I mean, oh, excuse me, he's the most natural Mike linebacker they have and arguably the most natural linebacker period that they have. So when I when I look at a guy like Junior, like, okay, he's the floor. Okay, what do the veterans do in response to him? And and that's that's kind of why I have some excitement about what this linebacking core is going to be. I, You know, the linebacking core was very disappointing last year. I, I, I did some research on this last week, and, I, and I've looked it up in the past, and I'm trying to remember what the specific numbers were. But just kind of off the top of my head, like the linebackers last year had something like 18 tackles for loss. And they've had years where the linebackers have been like recently where the linebackers are like over 30. Like the worst year at B other than this was like 24 and a half. And so the, the the impact production just wasn't there. The tackles were there, but like the impact production wasn't there. And they needed to be there. And part of the reason that I'm excited about this group is because I feel like things things involving like you know, JD's question marks or Bo's question marks, all those type of things. Like if those guys are starting over junior, it's because they've improved their games. And, and, and when you look at JD Bertrand, I think he's kind of the leader in the clubhouse going into fall camp, if he's healthy and I expect him to be, but he was, he was recovering in the spring from things that were a result of injuries, you know, bumps and bruises and injuries he sustained during the fall. So I assume he's going to be healthy, but when you look at him, it's a situation where he, to me, was a good player last year, a pretty good player for Notre Dame last year. But there were ways that good teams could get him into bad positions where his lack of length hurt him. Now, what's interesting is some there was a comment on the message board, maybe it was a, a chat the other day, where somebody questioned, you know, like, I hope that they can have somebody more athletic. Look, J.D. Bertrand's issues are not athleticism. JD's a pretty athletic kid. Like he's matter of fact, I he's I mean, we thought Drew Drew White was a solid athlete. I liked Drew White a little bit more than Ryan did. We were in the same ballpark on on his athleticism. Yep. JD Bertrand is a is is a noticeably more explosive athlete than Drew White is. He's also a little bigger than Drew is, taller and thicker and a little bit longer. But and the Drew athleticism also ran like Drew ran like what four six high at his yeah. at the pro day yeah. like he's he can he can run a little bit yeah. Like, yeah well that's pretty good I mean for you know I mean that's pretty good and and JD's more explosive so to me Manti ran in the four sevens right if I remember correctly I believe so maybe four so, eight like he wasn't very yeah very fast straight line but yeah JD's more explosive than Drew was I think that moving inside to Mike is going to make J.D. Bertrand, you know, the guy that led Notre Dame in tackles last year, the guy who the only linebackers to have more solo tackles in the last 15 years than him was a cat named Manti Teo and a cat named Jalen Smith. And the highest that 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 Manti ever had was like 69. 
the highest that Jalen ever had, I think, was 66. Mm-hmm. JD had 63. Nice. Right, like uh, Tavon Coney tied him. Remember, we were talking the other day about Tavon Coney's a tackling machine in mm-hmm. solo tackles. JD Bertrand had as many as Tavon Coney, and only Jalen Smith beat him twice. It was like by one and by like three. And Manti beat him by like six the year that Manti was. I think Manti did it in 2011. I don't think he did it in 2012. I think it was 2011. Manti had 69. Yeah. So uh, you're you can that's that's pretty good production now where where i think you're going to see a jump from jd is i think playing mike is going to give him more opportunities to play to make tackles behind the line the reason i say that it should be the other way around will is usually Mm -hmm. the position where it's more but i think jd's game being better suited jd missed a lot of chances for stops behind the line last year because he was coming for more distance i think this year you're going to see him getting a chance to make those plays more downhill right and and i think that's going to suit him so i think jd is if I had to predict today, I'd predict JD wins this battle. And and, and I think he's going to be really good. But the the coaches love Bo Bauer, understandably. Yep. And and he's tall, he's long, he's really explosive and twitchy downhill. Mm-hmm. He arrives with force. He's going to play like his hair is on fire. And when you consider how much hair he has, <laughs> that's, you know, right? But – the thing for Bo is if Bo's going to be a legitimate contender for the starting job, he's going to get a shot. But if he's going to be a legitimate contender, he's going to have to become a more disciplined, instinctive player because those are two things that he's just never shown. I will never again say a guy cannot learn that as a fifth-year senior because Asmar Bilal flat blew that theory out of the wall. I've always felt if a guy doesn't show instincts and a feel for the game by his fifth year, he's never going to. And Asmar was like, bet. Right. I mean, yeah. so, uh, you know, I'll always say that there's a chance Bo's got to mm-hmm. show that that's the thing is the physical tools are are nice. They're good. They're they're He's got some, some athleticism and he's a monster on special teams. It's just the feel for the position. That's why most of the big plays he's ever made are in third down where he's mm-hmm. just kind of got, here's your job. You got one job, go do it. You're dropping under the hook. You're, you're, yeah. you're blitzing the a gap. You know, there's not as much read and react. It's just go for him yeah and I, I think brian for me it's i'm interested to see bo bauer but i also think that when because i mean jd bertrand's the incumbent obviously right like he's playing a different position but he was a starting linebacker for notre dame last year and i if i'm jd i'm looking and i'm saying you know bo's a really talented player but i've i've seen bo right like he's a known commodity to me Junior Toy Alamaka is a completely unknown commodity. I mean, I know he saw him in the spring, but he's going to go into his first fall competing with a freshman that he's never really seen play football, probably other than maybe a huddle highlight and what he saw in the spring. So I think that's why it's so interesting to me is that there's it you're like threatened sometimes by the unknown, right? So it's going to be kind of one of those situations where for JD to be the best version of himself, he's going to be looking behind him and say like, who is this freshman, man? Like right. I saw him in the spring. He was good. But like, now he's like nipping at my heels, man. And mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be like the guy, right? Like I'm on all these watch lists and I've already mm-hmm. been graded by the NFL and like all this type of stuff. Like I'm, I'm a good football player, Yeah. but then you have a freshman coming in, which is another hat tip to the staff. Like what a, a phenomenal freshman class they put together. I know everyone knows that that's not breaking news, but the mm-hmm. fact that the one guy that I think mo- a lot of Notre Dame fans were least excited about is turning heads, like mm-hmm. absolutely just putting himself on the map, right? So I'm excited to see it because 
Bo Bauer, on top of the steadiness of, of J.D. Bertrand and hopefully the, the plus and play and the new quantity that is a junior toy Lamaca, Bo Bauer is a really important football player for this team. He's got some leadership qualities. He's a great special teamer. I'm probably their best special teamer, you would say, right? At least from a coverage Bo? perspective. Yeah, like, I, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, coverage, leadership, all of it. I mean, Bo, yes. to me, should be a team captain. Whether he starts yes. a middle linebacker or not, he should be a team captain. He should be the special teams representative as a captain Ace. this year. 100%. No matter 100%. what happens a linebacker. And honestly, even if he isn't the starting Mike and doesn't play like a significant role, he's going to get a shot at the NFL yeah. for just what he does in special teams and his right. length. Like that is going to give him an opportunity, right? Yeah. But he has the talent to do it. It's just about the mental side of the, the physical talent, for right? For both exactly. Yes, he has exactly. the length, he has the athleticism, he has he has more tools than JD Bertrand does from just a physical perspective. JD is just a quicker processor. He sees the game a little mm-hmm. better right now. Bo Bauer is a little bit of an enigma, which is weird for a fifth-year senior, right? Like, usually you would like to have a general understanding of that player at this point, Mm -hmm. if we're being honest. But it's going to be an interesting battle because we have literally every side. We have a redshirt junior who's the incumbent who just led your team in tackles. You have the redshirt senior who's an important part of your team. And then you have a true Mm -hmm. freshman that is just kind of – blown all expectations out of the water, at least from a spring perspective. So this is the ultimate, like, I, again, I also believe that J.D. Bertrand is going to be the starting Mike to at mm-hmm. least to start the season. Yeah. But it, it, this, this is one of the ones where I'm just going to be like kind of interested to see it because there's a lot of different right. layers to this battle. A lot of different ones. I think J.D. is going to be hard to beat out if he's healthy. I, I do. I think he's going to be hard to beat out if he's healthy. And especially as I go back and watch more film, I'm like, man, you put that at Mike and he's going to be even more impactful. And just like little things, like he arrives at blockers with more force than Drew did. He just has more explosiveness. You know, he brings, he packs a little bit more in his behind than Drew did, you know? And, and, you know, I, there's no doubt that JD's going to have to, he's going to be in for battle. But from what I've been told about JD, he's just one of those kids that is supremely confident. He's very, he's like a very like mild mannered, like respectful kid. And, you know, you saw his personality during the College World Series run. You know, he was – him and Foskey and guys were, like, going. And you could – he's just a very personable kid, you yep. know, but very confident kid too and and very focused on the task at hand. And, and so I don't I don't know if, like, you're always going to be worried about the kid behind you in regards to, like, you know, hey, look, this guy's coming. But from what I've heard, learned about J.D., he is very fo- task-oriented. And he's going to be focused on his game, and I, I think those things are going to make him a little bit, a little bit tough, a little bit tough to beat. I did want to respond to a question related to this. Hunter Land asked, "Does Bo have two years left? Uh, this COVID eligibility always makes things confusing. So this is the year that Bo's getting back because of COVID. So uh, he w- he played as a freshman on special teams. I mean, he's been a, so he was he was in the 18 class. He played 18, 19, 20, 21. He played all four of those seasons." He was a special teams guy, played more than four games in all of those seasons. So the only reason he's coming back this year is because of COVID. So Bo is what he, he's in the same boat that Kurt Heinisch was last year. So his fifth year was his COVID year. Uh, he didn't have another red shirt. Whereas Josh Lug can come back this year for a sixth year because he had a red shirt and gets the had so he had the fifth year opportunity. Then you get the COVID stuff. It adds to the six. So the guys that are getting six years that are guys that had a red shirt season, whether it's a medical red shirt or a, just a normal red shirt. Those are the guys getting a sixth season because of COVID. And you had to have been on the team in 2020 for that to count. 
Right. And and so that's why Bo is back this year. So this just so to, so we're clear, Hunter, it's a very good question, and I'm pretty sure you're not the only one that has it. That's why I wanted to address it. This will be Bo's last year because this is the extra year that he got is 2022. Uh, now JD is going to be a senior this year. He technically has two years of eligibility left. Yes. So he's what he he's in the group of kids that it gets weird, right? Because mm-hmm. he had a red shirt and you know all that kind of stuff. So, so he's technically it, a red shirt junior, but he's all but by the COVID standards, he's a red shirt sophomore. Correct. Because that extra correct year. Yeah. correct, right. which is just weird. But it is weird. <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. And so we'll see. We'll see that. But it's going to be a fun battle and. Uh, I'll say this, the winner is going to, is going to, the guy that earns that job is going to always have to say, Hey, you better bring it every week because there can be no drop off because I got two other dudes going to be chomping at the bit. And that's the other part of it is what's the rotation look like? Cause two years ago, Drew White, you know, he rotated, but he dominated the snaps last year. It was a lot more rotating going on at Mike linebacker. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see kind of, um, kind of how it works. You know, as far as sure. what's the rotation look? Is it going to be like a, a 50-50 split with him and one, you know, JD and the, whoever the other guy is or whoever the starter is? Is it going to be like a 60-30-10? Is it going to be a 50-30-20? That's the other part of this because they are going to want to have a rotation. Is it two guys? Is it three? Does Bo just focus on the nickel stuff and Junior and JD? Get, I, that's, the, that's part of this battle that makes it interesting. It's not just the starter battle. That makes this Mike linebacker discussion interesting. Yeah, you know, so well, it, it's it's it's, it's going to be cur- it's going to be interesting. That that's all. That's always the fun part of defense because like defense just relies so much on sub package now. It's like there's so many different roles. It's not just you're the starting Mike and you're playing 100 percent of the snaps. No, I mean you can departmentalize that position. You can work in the sub package as far as like if you're in a nickel or dime look. There's so many different things that you could do defensively now where. Even if you're not the starter in sub, you could be the starter in nickel, right? Like you'd be the starter in dot as a dime mm-hmm. backer. It's right. so many different opportunities now, which I, I love the defensive side of the ball for that reason. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to see more and more of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's also – and Marcus Freeman made a comment about this a year ago. Mm-hmm. He said in this era of transfer – it's, it's more so transfer related than it is NIL related. But in this era where kids can just transfer whenever – you're going to need to do things to keep kids happy. I mean, you may not want, you may not like that, but you need to do that. And I think that's partly why it's smart to bring in a guy like Al Golden. Cause in the NFL, Ryan, like you're paying these guys to be on the team. You're going to find ways to use them. And and football in the NFL has become so situationally oriented. And a lot of teams, especially if you're good at drafting and signing, you know, free agents, you're building your depth to where you're not just playing 11 dudes, especially now in these 17-game seasons. So you're seeing more and more sub-packages. I should I said situational yep. packages. I meant to say sub-packages. Teams yep. are doing way more sub-packages now where, you know, and, and that doesn't just mean you take out your third linebacker and put in a nickel. Sometimes that means you put in two different linebackers. <laughs> it can mean different things for different people. So I think there's roles for those guys and it's the the era of okay you won the job you're the starter at most positions i think needs to be over it needs to be over at running back it needs to be over at receiver it needs to be over at tight end it needs to be over on every defensive every player is on defense there's there's three positions on defense i don't want as much rotating and i'll be honest mike is one because that's your quarterback of the defense the other one is corner 
I, I don't love rotating a corner because I feel like there's a lot that goes into as a corner of learning what the dude across from you is doing. I got to learn sure. his tricks. I got to learn, okay, when he does this, I know that. And that only comes from, you can see it on film to a degree, but you got to experience it. So I think yeah. that's the other one. Then on offense, obviously offensive line for the most part and quarterback. But at okay. most positions you're seeing where, and, and so, so all three of these guys could play. You know, Junior could be your short yardage Mike and a rotation guy. Bo could be your nickel guy, you know, and JD's your starter. I mean, so it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out, but you want it to be because guys earned those jobs, you know. And then does Prince Collie factor into this conversation at all? That's he the could. other part. So, yeah. which we discussed yesterday, which we're not going to dive into again today. So, that is going to be, in my opinion, the most fun fall camp battle to watch Don't is disagree. the Mike linebacker. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. I don't want to spend a lot of time on cornerback, Ryan. That is a position battle to keep an eye on. And the sure. reason why is because we talked a lot about it yesterday in yesterday's mm-hmm. show because the sophomore class was yesterday's show and, and the sophomore class were the primary contenders. There's one player that I do want to discuss. Uh, well, two guys. I want to talk a little bit about Clarence Lewis, and then I want to talk about Jaden Mickey and the potential he could have in this in – this, him and Benjamin Morrison, the potential they could have in this cornerback battle. So – Clarence Lewis is is interesting because there's a lot of Notre Dame fans that are just waiting and hoping he's going to get he's going to get beat out right. uh, because I understand it right because of how he played in the bowl game and it wasn't just the bowl game it wasn't just like for JD I thought JD had a, a bad game right mm-hmm. but he was really good the rest of the year the problem right. with Clarence is that it, he kind of had that type of game against the, all the good teams they played. You know, like he didn't play well against Cincinnati. He didn't play well against Wisconsin. He just was benefited from the fact that Graham Mertz couldn't hit a pass to save his life beyond 10 yards. I mean, you saw it. You saw the all 22 on that. He got beat three times on deep routes and he was, I mean, flat beat. And Graham Mertz Mm -hmm. just either didn't see it or just missed it. Against and, against pretty average wide receivers, yes. too. It's not like Wisconsin has a bunch of dudes. Right, yeah. right. So, But then there's other times you watch Clarence play, and you're like, that guy's not bad. That guy's pretty decent. So I don't know what it was with him last year. I think part of it was moving him around. I think moving him from field to boundary. He's a young guy. He was a sophomore last year. And sure. I don't think he handled the boundary as well. This is what's going to make this season really interesting. I don't think Clarence is a very good boundary corner. I think Clarence Lewis is actually a better field corner, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that. Or I want to start there. I do. Do I you do. think when you watch his film, I see a much more noticeably better player to the field than I do the boundary, to the point where he was actually a good player to the field. When he struggled last year is when they made that switch from moving mm-hmm. Cam to the field and they moved Clarence to the boundary. I, I think for me, and I would love your insight on this too, Clarence is a kid for me that I think needs to take a little bit of chances, right? Because he's not the most dynamic athlete at the position. Like, he's a good, solid athlete. He's not a bad athlete by any stretch. But he's a kid that I think needs to play a little aggressive. He's a guy that needs to 
you know, kind of stick his foot in the ground and, and, you know, get into the chest of a wide receiver and to the field, that's a lot easier in my opinion, because you have more help, right? Like more natural help in that instance. If you're in the boundary and you gamble and you miss, I mean, there's a lot of one-on-one situations in the boundary, Right. right? So that's where I think that, I think that Clarence Lewis is definitely better because I don't think that his margin for error to the boundary is as high as it would be to the field because he's just going to have a little more help around him. You're saying his margin for error in the boundary isn't as high as it is to the yes, field. Yes, correct. Okay. Because he's going to be in a lot more one-on-one situations. There's not as much help right. into the boundary. To the field, there's a lot more guys that you can depend on over the top, underneath, all that good stuff. Right. So you can take more chances, and it might, might, probably won't hurt you as much as it would hurting you into the boundary. Cam Hart, if he's in the boundary, right? He has maybe not the best jam ever, and a guy gets a clean release. Well, he's six two and a half, and he can run, right? So, like, mm-hmm. he has a chance to make up for that. There is a higher margin for error in that situation. Clarence Lewis is not that length. He's not that type of athlete. So, mm-hmm. I agree. I think to the field is much more advantageous because I want him to be aggressive. Because I right. think that I, I don't know what the whole out out outlook from the spring was, Brian, but I saw him in one practice. And I thought Clarence looked pretty good, man. Yeah. He was sticky and he was aggressive. And that's right. what I like to see out of him. And his transitions were better. He just looked a little sure. cleaner. Because, again, he was a young player last year. And we all, we kind of forget that a little bit. You know, he's a sophomore. He's going to get better. But So I don't think it's a given that he's going to get beat out. I will say this, however. if he, But it can't be because of the way he plays the way he did. He, he has to make a big jump because if he doesn't make a big jump and nobody beats him out, I'm super concerned about cornerback at that point in time. 100%. Now I, I want to clear up some too. You can help a boundary corner. Ryan's not saying you sure. can't. The problem sure. is, as we've explained in the past, you don't want to, <laughs> because if you have to put more numbers to the shorter side of the field, that means you have even fewer numbers to the wider side, which means more guys have to cover more space or fewer guys, excuse me, have to cover more space. So you can help a guy to the boundary, but the whole point of putting your best guy in the boundary so you don't have to help him. So he can, because his his help is the boundary. It's the sideline. If you have to start, man, we got to really start working on buzzing our wheel up underneath stuff because, you know, because we got to play our corner off. And so we need our, our wheel to be more involved in buzzing the flats or buzzing under a hook curl because we can't put our corner in man or we have to do more where our safety's playing over the top more or protecting against yeah. the post more. You've now taken play weapons too, away from your high. Right. right. You've now so. taken weapons away from your, your run defense and you've taken weapons away from your other pass defense because you have a boundary corner that can't cover one-on-one. That's not a place you want to be. And so I, I still haven't, I hope maybe I'll get the explanation sometime soon, but I never got explained to why they made that switch. I, I, so I, I'm very curious about that. Like, look, I think Cam Hart can do both at a high level. I, I do I agree, but I, agree. I would like to have seen, I, I would like to see Cam go back to the boundary, to be honest with you. And I, I don't know if that's in the, pa- the the plans or not, but if not, then they need somebody like Ryan Barnes to then push Clarence to the, at that position. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting unless Clarence can make a big jump. But again, I don't, the problem is I just don't know if Clarence has the long speed to play the boundary and he doesn't Agreed. have like the length that a Ryan Barnes has where if he does, you know, get beat by half a step, which is the difference between a, a four, five and a four, four, mm-hmm. he's got that. He's six, three, he's got super long arms, you know, those type of things. Clarence is like five eleven and a half, right? right? That that's it. Meaning if he's a step off, he's beat sure right that's that's the difference 
so I'm very curious how that's going to go this spring. And that's, that's something I'm looking for is it's not just does Clarence get pushed. I don't care if Clarence gets beat out or not. I don't. My questions are more of where's he going to play? And is he starting because he earned it or starting because the younger guys have not stepped up? That's the question sure. for me. Not is he going to start? I'm not one of those rooting for Clarence not to play. I don't care who starts. I just want the guy that starts to play well. Yep. But if if it's because the you know Barnes just isn't pushing them or Riley's not pushing them or Tucker's not pushing them or the freshmen aren't ready, I'm going to be real concerned about a couple games this year. There's no well, doubt about if, it. If they don't make the switch and Cam is still playing to the field, it is very difficult to hide a, a, a corner that's not playing well into the boundary. You know, So whoever that is, whether it is Clarence or it is Ryan or it's Philip Riley or whoever ends up being that guy, Chance Tucker, mm-hmm. whatever, that guy is going to have the – the bullseye on him a little bit, you know, like there's going to, mm-hmm. there's going to be some teams. I mean, what you thought, I think of like last year against USC, right? Like you're going to have your games where you're going to get to Drake London. Like it's going to mm-hmm. happen. We're in the boundary. It, for me, it was like, it's not even the fact that Clarence is like not the most physically gifted player of all time, Brian. It's also the fact of like, you remember that double move that Drake London hit last year where it's just like, mm-hmm. Clarence, why are you biting on right. that, sir? Like that doesn't You've been giving sense. him that hitch all game. Right. Because like so much of Drake's production last year was just, we're letting you have that. Sure. Like we're letting you have that because we know eventually we're going to make a stop. And we know once the field gets, because here's what Notre Dame strategy. What you don't want to let USC do is rip off the 50-yard play. Because you knew once the field gets condensed in the red zone, you got them, right? Because now they don't have as much room. Now you can bring everything up. You're not as worried about them running by you. And now you can take away that stuff, which is why they held them to 16 points, despite the fact Drake London had, what, like 15 catches for over 200 yards? A lot of it was just kind of gimme numbers. You know, he he didn't have the dominance you'd expect the guy to have that had those numbers, right? Mm-hmm. except for that one play. And that was just like, wh- why? Like like why? you said, why right. are you doing that? Like, there's no sure. need for that. But again, he's a sophomore. He's yeah, going to have to make the mental and technical jumps this season, big fun- fundamental and like mental and technical jumps that you'd expect a sophomore to make going into his junior year. There, There's yeah. no doubt about it. And I expect it because there's some really talented players behind him, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that – Unless Ryan Barnes and the, and the rest of the sophomore class does not come to play, and the Jaden Mickey's of the world, and Benjamin Morrison when he gets here, in the, mm-hmm. when he well he is here when he starts mm-hmm. playing in the fall, unless those guys are just all don't take a step, which I, I find it hard to believe that there's what's that five other players that just don't take a jump, right? Like someone's mm-hmm. going to take a jump out of that group. So as long as there's a couple guys that do take a nice jump, Clarence Lewis is going to have to play better because there's right. a lot of talent behind him, right? No doubt about it. And that's the key. If he wins the starting job and those guys step up, then they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. They're going to be pretty good at corner. It, it, so the, the two guys that I'm very curious to see this fall, because we've seen freshmen have great springs, and then the more things get put on their plate, they fade in the fall. We've seen that. Does that happen to Jaden Mickey or not? I, I I don't think it will, Just mm-hmm. just the way he is. But he also was like when we saw the play that Braden Lindsay smoked about like 15 yards with just a simple little just a jab. You know he's got yeah. a work to do as well. Benjamin Morrison's a very talented player. I mean you you know how high I am on him. Uh, he's you know like I said he's the highest graded corner that Notre Dame has signed in my opinion in the last 10 years. Wow. And you know the last guy that I graded out as high as him was T Shepard, who I thought was really good coming to high school. He just had other issues, right? But he was a very talented player. Yep. 
it, but but he, I also will admit that Benjamin is raw, and there's a higher gap between his floor and ceiling than there is for Jaden Mickey, right? Mm-hmm. So, but how how quickly can those two push at this spot is really going to be very telling for me because I'm actually not concerned about as long as Tariq Bracy is the guy we saw the second half of last year. I'm not worried about the nickel. I'm really not. Sure. I think Tariq's really sure. good there. I'm more concerned about the field corner spot or you know the the second corner spot do the can the freshmen and or the sophomores provide enough push to where if Clarence starts you were all sitting there saying don't worry everybody he's going to be all right. right right that's going to be the key for me is is the young guys I would like your input on this one Brian I really liked a lot of what I saw from Jaden Mickey in the spring. I mean, he mm-hmm. has that swagger. He competes. It is awesome, man. He's got that energetic look. If Cam Hart's to the field, though, and the competition is now about who is going to play a lot into the boundary, and that's kind of where Jaden is getting pegged a little bit, he worries me into the boundary right. just a little bit because he's, he's undersized. And he's going to yeah. gamble a little that's bit. That's another right? point. Like he's aggressive. Yeah. He's aggressive. To the field, be aggressive, right. sir. 100%. Again, you have a little more help to the field than you're going to have to the boundary. There's no doubt. But if he is a guy that is legitimately up for the boundary slot, spot side, I'm just like, man, he's there's going to be some points where like he just tries to jump something, then you hit a double move, and that's just that's all she wrote, right? Or he gets a little too aggressive at the line of scrimmage. He misses, doesn't move his feet adequately, get everything aligned, and that guy just runs a fade right by him. Like There's going to be those moments. That being mm-hmm. said, I want Jaden Mickey to push the guys because he right. has that temperament where he's not only going to be, he's not only going to play well and, you know, have his great reps, he's going to let you know about it. And that is the easiest way to start to push some buttons of some older guys, right? You're going to see Clarence Lewis like, oh, Jane just had an interception and whatever. And then he's going to come to the sideline like, yep, I'm the guy, man. I'm the guy. Like, that's me. Mm-hmm. That's me right there. And that's what pushes people right there. Because Jaden Mickey is going to get in your face, and I absolutely love it, right? Benjamin Morrison, I believe, is a much more natural boundary player, obviously, than Jaden Mickey. Agreed. So he's the guy that if that's the position that's open, I think he can come in and he can compete. I don't know if he – I don't know. Again, I wish he didn't come in for the spring. So he's going to be a guy that's just new to the fall as far as on-field conversations Technical, happen. scheme, adjustments, sure. language, terminology, sure. all that stuff, right? So I think Benjamin Morrison is more a threat to take a lot of – a chunk of the snaps later in the season. Probably not as much early on. But he does have the talent to absolutely play this season to your to your points because you have a lot of uncertainty into the boundary right now. If, if I knew that Cam Hart – was going to move to boundary. I honestly wouldn't be worried about cornerback at all. I wouldn't. I, I really wouldn't because one Not of either. two things would happen. Clarence is at his more natural position. He'll be fine. And I think that's a position where the young guys could have a better chance to play. Sure. Because that's part of the reason that they didn't play Ryan Barnes last year because he's a boundary guy and you can't put a young guy that's – this is what I was told about Ryan Barnes last year, why he didn't play. He would look great for four snaps and then snap five, he'd – turn somebody loose when you're playing a bunch of close competitive games week after week after week you can't put a freshman on the field that you know is going to get picked on because he's a freshman and he's not cam hart that you're afraid that they're going to go right at him and you're not sure if he's going to if that's the snap he's going to turn a guy loose what i was told in the spring is he cleaned a lot of that stuff up so that's a positive 
And and so to me, like I would I wouldn't mind seeing Cam be the I wouldn't mind seeing Cam play both, to be honest with you. Because then you could put Cam to the field on snaps when you want Barnes into the boundary. And then yep. when Barnes or Morrison aren't on the field, you put Cam back to the boundary. And then, you know, Clarence and Jaden are, are working in the field or Philip Riley or Chance Tucker. I wouldn't yeah. mind seeing something like that, you know, or just go left, right. That would be the other thing. I would that's, say. that's, that's what I was going to ask is if, if Notre Dame, if let's say Ryan Barnes is that guy and he kind of takes yeah. over the, you know, the majority of snaps at one starting position and he is a consistent football player, yeah. maybe not a dynamic football player, but consistent. Would you be willing to go left, right compared to going boundary to field? That yes. Was my question I always, I would, pre- I would prefer my personal preference is mm-hmm. I prefer field boundary. And I mean, excuse me, right, left. And I'll be honest, part of the reason is, is as an offensive guy, if I know where one corner is going to be that I know I want to go after, there's, yeah. I can always, you know, I, it doesn't matter where the, the last snap was, right? Because like you're kind of, you, you got to be almost a couple plays ahead because if I want to go on after this guy in two plays, I kind of got to make sure that the play I run you know, gets it to where I want to, I want to go after that guy when he's in the boundary. Well, I better make sure I run a play that makes sure that the boundaries to his side of the field, I think that can be more challenging for an offensive coordinator. Sure. And, and, and so, whereas I know no matter what I run the play before, I know on that snap where I want to go after that guy, he's going to be in the boundary because mm-hmm. they're a field boundary team or he's yep. going to be to the field. I, I think that would be the ideal thing for me. Plus you're talking about two long dudes really long that i think are both going to be good tacklers i think it's another thing is is there i think cam cam will be remembered for the horrible missed tackle he had against virginia tech where sure. he kind of got caught between laying a guy out and he's like wait a minute, i can't lay the guy out because then it's gonna be targeting so then he kind of rolled into the guy and then it's whiffed and the guy runs for like 40 yards <clears throat> but other than that he was a pretty good tackler Right, especially like, against screens, like yeah, he was really good against screens. Really aggressive coming up and and physical. Yep. So he, he, it's like sometimes you're remembered by the one bad play. You know, like Mike McGlinchey. There's still Notre Dame fans that don't think he was that good in 2017 because he had that one bad sack against Georgia. Mike McGlinchey was yeah. excellent in 2017. He had one bad play, came in a big moment. You sure. know, and that's kind of for Cam. It was like a night game, you know, on primetime TV, and he had that bad tackle. But if you go look at Cam throughout the whole season, he was a pretty darn good tackler, and that was his first year. Yep. So I, I, yes, you are correct. If if I'll say this, if Morrison or Barnes win or Chance Tucker win the starting job opposite Cam Hart, I'd be all for going right left. Because I think Chance is another guy that can play both. He can play if Chance has got he's got some length. He's you know because he he's not as long as the other guys, but he's got some he's got really long arms. He's smooth. He's very instinctive. I think he's a guy that could fit that boundary position really well, if, especially if he's as fast as the Notre Dame people tell me he is. Because that's one thing I was told is he's faster than they thought he was going to be. So I do think Chance is a guy that could also play boundary uh, and field. So those, yeah. if one of those three guys wins the job opposite of him, then I'd be totally fine going right-left. And it could be a thing where maybe against teams like Ohio State, like North Carolina, like this, you know, other Temple teams, those are games where you maybe happen to maybe Clarence doesn't play as much in those particular matchups and you go field, you go right, left. Sure. Right. And then in other games, when you're playing more traditional offenses or teams like that, then you may, you may go more field boundary depending on who you're playing. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting how they do, but at the end of the day, Ryan, as far as position battle goes, 
it, it's going to all depend on who steps up this fall and who 100%. pushes. Right. Yep. I mean, if it's clear that the the two best corners after, you know, other than Treak or the best corner other than Treak Bracey and Cam Hart is Clarence Lewis, then you're going to be kind of, I don't know if Clarence can do both, but I'll say this. If you think Clarence is a boundary player, then might as well go field boundary or go right left. Sure. Because at least then you get some snaps of him to the field. Uh, you know, my, my whole wrong. thing about it was more of if you're going to move Cam to boundary where he should be, if Clarence is your starter, then I sure. would rather go field boundary. But if yeah. you think Clarence is a boundary guy, then you might as well go right left, in mm-hmm. my opinion. So what that means That's for those true. who don't know, and I'm sure most do, there's two ways to play your corners. Well, three. One is, I mean, just I want you to go wherever that guy goes, right? You know, it's a matchup <laughs> thing. You can play matchup corners. The other two basic ways are you go field boundary, which means if I'm on the defense and I'm the boundary corner and the ball's on the right hash, the right side is the boundary, the short side of the field. So I'm going to the right. If the next play they throw a bubble screen and it gets tackled outside in the, the of the hash and they switch it over to the other hash, the boundary's now to the other side of the field. What teams vary on is if it's middle of the field, they may go a strength call, and then the boundary sure. guy would go opposite the strength call. Uh, but the other one is right-left. So no matter where the ball is, I'm the right corner. No matter where the ball is, I'm the left corner. That's especially more important to have when you're playing a team that pushes the tempo. So like if you were playing Chip Kelly's offense back in the day and you were not going right left, you were going to get beat. You know, yeah. I mean, you just you can't switch. And and so you need to have the ability to do that anyway. So why not do it all the time if you have the right players? So sure. that's that's what we're referring to there. Last one, Ryan, safety. We know Brandon Joseph is going to start as long as he's healthy. Who steps into that number two role and how many guys force their way on the field? Because this is the position where you could see more guys. You could see a five-man safety rotation this year of guys that are just like, dude, he's got to play some somehow. I'm very curious to see how this battle goes because obviously a lot of folks are just ready to write off Houston Griffith and DJ Brown. I wouldn't do that yet. But that's just that's kind of the world we live in, and and there's this assumption that Ramon Henderson's going to be that guy. After the way he played in the spring, I don't think he's locked into that guy. Sure. But also, some other guys, you know, have to have a chance to step up. Whether it's Xavier Watts, whether it's DJ Brown, whether it's Houston Griffith, to to push. So I don't think it's a given that Ramon Henderson's going to be that second safety. And so I'm very curious to see how the battle goes. And there's twofold aspects to it, Ryan. Number one, who starts? And number mm-hmm. two, what's your rotation look like? And how comfortable are you taking Brandon Joseph off the field for 10 to 15 snaps a game? That also is going to be very, very de- much determined by how these guys battle for that other starting job. Because you'd like to take him off the field at times to give him a breather. Mm-hmm. But you better feel pretty comfortable with who you're putting back there. And right now, that's one thing that I'm very much looking forward to with the spring battle or this fall. It's, I keep saying spring. Fall I, know, I keep saying spring too. It's this is one of my bigger question marks for me, honestly, Brian, because I went into the spring. I was like, Ramon Henderson's the dude, you know, like he's going to, he had some really nice flashes last year, kind of getting forced into safety duty. He's going to just take that momentum. He's going to build on it. And like you said, wasn't a great spring for him. He has an opportunity obviously to change that momentum. But I don't know what to expect from this team, uh, from this unit, I should say, to be honest with you. I am not comfortable right now 
to take Brandon Joseph off the field for 10 to 15 snaps, just because I don't know. I, I think there's just too much volatility, you know, like you would see even some good plays from like, like let's take DJ Brown, for instance, right? Like there'd be a, a oh, wow, that nice, nice close on the football or nice tackle by DJ Brown. And then you see him against Florida state where he just takes a horrible angle and misses the tackle on like that 70 yard touchdown run, like just too much volatility. Houston Griffith, I felt like didn't get beat a ton, but he also didn't make many plays, right? Like last year, like it was just kind of, he was kind of there, which isn't always a bad thing, but like he just didn't make a ton of plays. And Xavier Watts, I wouldn't say, I I don't know if he, I would say he had a bad spring, but like it was just very non, like, like you just didn't really notice him a ton, right? So I'm just, I'm just moving in. He wasn't getting beat. He just wasn't in, in the practices we saw. And this yes, is the danger yeah. of reporting on not the danger, but we've got you know you all have to understand when we say things like it's what we saw. We saw what five practices mm-hmm. for the other ten, he may have been balling out and picking off three passes a day. But I didn't sure. hear those that intel either. I didn't hear about him doing a whole lot. I never heard about him struggling. I just didn't hear about him doing a whole lot. Yeah. He can't afford sick. to have that happen in the fall, Ryan, if he's gonna force his way onto the field. I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, is Xavier Watts for me like He's a guy that I don't want to gamble unnecessarily, but I want him to take a little bit of risk at time, right? Because he's a he's a nice athlete, man. Like, he can make some plays working down towards the line of scrimmage and in covers. Like, I think that he can do a lot for your defense. It's just we need to see it, right? Like, you need to – we saw flashes last year, but even his – like, there's there's some moments where you're just like – I think of – it was him against um, Stanford, right? Against when Urasek took that long run for a touchdown. He took a bad angle, right? It's just yeah. like – And there was hesitation plus a bad angle – that's yes. when you saw that's a kid who was playing wide receiver in August, in September. 100%. And right. and you should expect those moments. Obviously, it was his first year playing safety at Notre Dame. So, like, cool. I get it. But right now, I don't know who that second guy is. Ramon Henderson has that incredible interception against, what was that, Virginia, where he came over the top for that? Yeah. For that oh, yeah. I mean, it looked a lot like the play Kyle Hamilton made against Florida State during the year, if we're going to be honest about it. Looked very, And he also had a great uh, uh, run stunt where he blew up the running back, running back or quarterback. One of the two blew him up and behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, So, yeah, that that was a game where – you know what I loved about that game was some dudes that you weren't counting on before. A couple weeks before that, Ramon was playing cornerback and turning dudes loose against North Carolina. Then they put him in safety. Like, this kid looks way better safety. Never looked a corner. Riley Mills steps in for one of your team captains and balls out. I mean, that's why depth is important. But back to your point, but it just kind of got me thinking about that because who knew that Ramon was going to come into that game and make a bunch of plays? So I, I think that the battle really is you have two guys that are incredibly talented, but young and inconsistent. And then you have two guys that have been there, done that, but haven't done anything at a high level. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. does the consistency, but unspectacular play of a Houston Griffith win out against a younger player who is going to make more plays, but he also might give up some more plays. Mm-hmm. Right. So it is just such an interesting conversation because I don't know what to expect. I mean, in the perfect world, Ramon Henderson or Xavier Watts take over that spot. The other one is the backup and, and you know, is is kind of a rotational piece. And then your two your two seniors there and DJ Brown and Houston Griffith are playing, but they're more like insurance, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, they're great depth at that point, right? Like, that's what you more expect. I'm worried. I don't know worried is the right word. I am look, I am curious to see. If it for me, and I don't know your opinion on this, so I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there. If Houston Griffith and DJ Brown are playing the majority of the snaps at the other safety position, that makes me a little worried for what I saw from the younger guys, sure. in my opinion. 
because I think that we've kind of seen close to the ceilings of Houston Griffith and DJ Brown. But if they are, if they just beat out the the two younger guys, mm-hmm. I think that tells me more about the younger guys' performance than the seniors. If I'm being honest, it hmm, it would make me nervous about how the younger guys are performing, and it would be disappointing. Not that I don't want DJ and Houston to play. It's just if they're dominating the snaps, it's most likely because those young guys didn't perform well. I would say I agree with you if DJ is the starter or playing half the snaps or more. Right. The reason mm-hmm. I say that is, is there are times when Houston Griffith is like, that's the dude that I've been waiting to see. That was so the high he, four star. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. So right. he has right. shown the ability to me to be a playmaker. DJ is just a steady, hopefully you're in position kind of guy, right? Now, DJ had a good spring. I mean, he had mm-hmm. probably the most consistent spring from what I'm from what we saw and what I'm told uh, of any of the safeties. The question is, um, can he carry that into the fall? That I don't know. But if if Houston's get if Houston just flat out has the kind of fall that you know I've always been waiting on him to have and he takes 70% of the snaps, then I'm good there, right? I'm right. If it's there. Now, if it's him and DJ, and it's like you said, then I think that's a little bit more concerning, Ryan. So, it, Or if DJ's that guy and then Houston's getting 30%, that would tell me that they're just playing the veterans because they don't want to take a chance of something happening. Now, I'll say this. Right. That could also – that could be a problem, but it could it, – it, that would only happen – in my opinion, if the mm-hmm. front seven is just that good, that they can't afford to say, look, we, we know that these guys aren't playmakers, but they don't make mistakes. Sure. And with how good our front seven is, we just have to avoid mistakes. I mean, right? I mean, because that's how Georgia was in the secondary last year, right? I mean, like that's what, to me, allowed Lewis Seen to be so good is they didn't have to force him into the box. They could just kind of let him sit back and play. Right. And now that's what made Georgia so elite is they didn't have to, they didn't have to protect. The point I'm making is they didn't have to protect their front seven with their secondary. They could just let those kids stay back and play. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so uh, to me, because I didn't think Georgia had a great secondary. I thought their secondary was a little overrated last year. That's a couple really good players, but I thought it was a little overrated. You could, you could beat them in the past game. And I talked about that during the season. You saw Tennessee do it until the injuries happen. You saw Bama do it in this SEC title game. You saw Bama do it in the first half until Jamison Williams got hurt too. But sure. the point is, in most games, their front seven was so dominant, they, they, they didn't have to protect it. They could just let the others. So it, I could see that, but that would be unlikely. Sure. You know, I, I, I just – so I'm just thinking of scenarios where I might not be as concerned about it. But honestly, I've got to talk myself into not being concerned about it, to be honest sure. with you. Right. You know, I, I mean, I, I just think, it would be caveats. I just think yeah. Right. I, I just think there's so much of a higher upside if Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts take a step. Right. Because they're just they're just a little different of athletes, in my opinion. I think Houston is a talented kid, but he just hasn't put it together. Mm-hmm. So I guess my worry is more that I think that they might give you more of the floor comparison. Right. If we're talking about DJ and Houston. But do you really want to settle for the floor if you're trying to win for a championship? Right. Like, I want to shoot for the ceiling, but also there's going to be volatility. And I, I'm just curious to see if the younger players can show you some of that ceiling without being as volatile. Like, that's where I'm a little concerned. Right. 
So that's going to do it for our position breakdown. We do have a mailbag coming up, but uh, so, and we have some already, some already have at least 16 questions starred and I'm not, I'm not caught up to the present moment yet. So keep firing away with your questions. But before we head to the mailbag, I do want you all to do us a favor, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. If you've not signed up for yet, sign up for our CFB nation uh, new channel. I had um, I have one person that's getting ready to sign a contract with us to to be a host for a, a show. I have uh, had another really great talk with somebody yesterday uh, that's more of a, a national college football news kind of guy. Uh, so hopefully we can work something a deal out with them. Uh, so we're definitely definitely rocking and rolling, hoping to have at least a couple shows up uh, this season, and then there's some other fun stuff that Vince and I are thinking about doing uh, for that channel as well during the fall. So we'll see how that goes. So do that for us we would really appreciate it Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.